0: You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast by Dr. T. Michael W. Halcom, Dr. Frederick J. Long, Dr. Mario Melendez, Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and J.M. Smith. Welcome and enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I am Michael Halcom, and I'm here with Dr. Frederick J. Long, and, um, this is Proved Text. We're going to be discussing, discussing Galatians today. We're in chapter 5. Before we do that, just thought I'd give a couple of um, shout-outs from those of you who've been listening to the podcast. Uh, Stephen Harris uh, recently commented on our YouTube page. This one's for Dr. Noonan. He says, Dr. Noonan, thank you for this series. I look forward to it every week. That's awesome, the SLA Insights series, so it's really good to hear that. It's a great series. We're thrilled that uh, Dr. Noonan is on the podcast team and um, she's doing a great job. Uh, Another one, uh, uh, Thaddeus Sales. I hope I'm saying your last name right, buddy. Um, It's not like Salis or something like that, but Thaddeus Sales, uh, he's he's, uh, commented on a few of the Fallacy of the Week ones recently and um yeah he's he's uh he's uh he's talking about how how uh, the twitter theologians of the world are pretty rough and he says the world loves sharing that stuff because it requires no thinking to process um and i hope it's okay that i'm sharing this but he says it's super vague and short phrases allow people to build their own meaning and hence mm. their own lack of definitions. And uh, he's on point there. It says Twitter has become the crescendoing demise of our society. Kind mm. of <laughs> um, reminds me of
0: horoscopes, right? I mean, they're so <laughs> generic and undefined yeah. that people could right. fill in what they want.
1: Exactly. And he says instead of articulate arguments, people mm. just insult one another when they're proven wrong, which is so true. Even Facebook. I've had two liberals. Um, in my uh, uh, one in my Nazarene tribe here in our district in Hawaii, I commented with the biblical explanations of Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit stuff, and uh, the lady just deleted me. She's a pastor, uh, she was using it to uh, promote homosexuality essentially, which is crazy that she was using those verses to do that, but she ple- completely left out the vice list that precedes. The Fruit of the Spirits. Um, yeah. And uh, so this gender stuff she's trying to promote. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and I had another one. A uh, United Methodist friend went to Asbury together, and this person was just posting something that their bishop wrote, this devotion that their bishop wrote, and it was just absolute hogwash, nothing but um, an out-of-context argument for sexual immorality. And this person's United Methodist Bishop. I think the whole United Methodist Church has gone that way anyway, but um, that's why I left it. So it's hard to hard to stomach some of that. But I called out the proof texting and got deleted, you know. So that's, that's how they roll. Um, yeah. You, well, guys. I mean, it's just
0: a delete, cancel culture, you know. what? It, it's just a, a cancel culture where we're not able to engage ideas and you just shut people down. Yeah. You know, there's no respect. There's yeah. no respect for conversation. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: You got to love it when a centrist United Methodist who is always bragging about, let's just talk, let's just have conversation deletes you when you leave. <laughs> yeah. A remark that that is worthy of a response. But anyways. Yeah. That's the centrist agenda I've found. Uh, even with, with the very few liberal Nazarenes that I know, it's always, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. And then when you actually try to set up a talk, they'll never make it happen. mm you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, so it's just, they play this game, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. And then when it gets down to brass tacks, uh, they, they won't ever really talk. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Anyways, it's a breakdown uh, of civil discourse more generally. I mean, we see it in our broader culture. Uh, political debates become sound bites. Yeah. So really sa- not debates, but bites, sound bites. And so who can win the sound bite? It's really just sad because oh, it's, a, right. it's, so true. it's a watering down of our culture. And mm-hmm. what makes us great as human beings is our ability to discourse and dialogue and debate and uh parry ideas with one another and Mm. you know one of the things i love about jordan peterson is uh you know he's willing to give it a go and kind of speak plainly and get out there and i think we need to show courage increasingly and take stands and that that's not easy to do um Yeah.
1: yeah yeah He doesn't always speak plainly. He's he's got he's out there sometimes with some very deep stuff, but he is intriguing to listen to, and uh, you you love those those clips or those scenes where he's just straight putting somebody in their place by unraveling their logic fallacy before their very eyes. Yeah, um, he's good yeah. at that. So good
0: at framing, reframing, yeah. definitions. Yeah. Uh, And I think we need to be real good at definitions as well. Like what is things and let's be clear about our definitions and not Not wishy washy and our thinking, but that takes training and time and um, skill.
1: That's why I've got the fallacy of the week thing on the podcast just just every week, week in and week out. Like it helps me stay sharp. Right. Mm -hmm. What is this fallacy? What do we call this? Right. I don't want to find it in my Bible intro to Bible class right now. One of the things that I'm doing every week is putting a meme up on the screen and just say, All right, let's stop. We're it's because there's this, you know, you talk about sound bites, but I've often talked about meme theology as well. A lot of people get their theology from memes, believe it or not, Mm. beliefs from memes. And so I've started, we take about 15, 20 minutes. I'll throw a meme up there that's making some sort of theological claim and let the students begin to just pick at it and by the end of that it's so edifying every single time and i i've asked them do you guys think we should you know continue doing this like please 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 and then we'll go right into like exegesis after that but um so pulling apart
0: the latent assumptions in a in a meme, the
1: images yeah yeah. exactly yeah that's
0: great I, yes. I kind of think, you know, what, when inductive Bible study, you know, this ability which Michael has been trained in uh, to, to to pull things and and recognize structure and then the meaning and ideology, like it, uh, inductive Bible study training, being trained in those skills of observation and asking questions, and that yes. uh, that one of the one of the goals, I guess, from its start was to be able to exegete culture in a sense. Yes. And so I think we need to exegete not only the biblical text but also our culture and uh Absolutely. to hear you doing yeah. that um yeah. it, you know you're just a, a master teacher in many ways Michael I think you're very gifted and um thank you what a creative way to engage people um yeah I'm always inspired by what you do it makes me think huh tomorrow night I got exegesis class what could I yeah. do there I've been really honestly f- frustrated with uh, sermons and um the lack of biblical exposition—it's yeah, um, definitely. It's really affecting me, uh, my heart. It's cutting me deep to my heart. And the Lord has given me words to speak in certain situations uh, with grace, because you need to be graceful with people. But then also, just to uh, you know, the deleterious effects that it has, because um, mm-hmm. people see the exposition or the lack of it, and then when there's other kind of things thrown in there. That, you know, and then the exposition is real simple. You know, Jesus changes whatever he touches, you know, like, well, that's Mm -hmm. such a general point. Yes. Okay. Who can debate that? But what did it take to get there? There's a lot of damage in the meantime. So a recent sermon I heard, I actually got up and left uh, during it. Um, And then I went back and listened and I, you know, I'm like, what is redeeming here? Is there some redeeming? things but it I'm still kinda of bothered by it. Yeah. Honestly.
1: Yeah that's why I I refuse to not go deep every single time I step in the pulpit. Period. Mm. You know. I had charts yeah. up during my sermon yesterday showing the and I, I spent so much time last week. I was preaching Transfiguration in Mark nine, two to thirteen. It's the hardest sermon I've written out of Mark yet. Mm. Um, wow. But you know, uncovering these connections between Exodus, first Kings, Malachi, and Mark. And I had that all up in a chart. Like here are a dozen connections, you know, a feeding before Moses goes on the mountain, Um, you know, ascends the mountain. There's a call to obey. There's glory on his face. And like, you know, having all this in a chart and people have their phones out literally during the service taking pictures of the the (laughs) charts is, this is yeah. something they want to go back and study, right? Mm-hmm. So it's taken years to sort of nurture a culture of deep study. And we're a small congregation, 40 mm-hmm. to 50, if we're lucky on a given weekend, right? Like, But I'd rather have 40 or 50 that are willing to just go deep every time than 5,000 who want to surface sermon week in and week out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. want, I want those. Even 30, 20 or 30 who are willing to go deep. Give me that over the surface sermons. So I I can't deal with that shallow preaching and the shallow homiletics. And, you know, that just leads. We've already seen where it leads. It leads to where the United Methodist Church is today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I've sat under that preaching. I grew up United Methodist. I uh, didn't really hear of a, a sermon on salvation expository sermon until I came to seminary here and I said under Terry Ferris and he preached on John 3.16. I remember that. I'm like, whoa, okay, so this this there's another kind of preaching that exists out there. Yes. And then, you know, you're just really hungry. I think people are hungry for exposition, true exposition. I, yeah, I just, the pastor teacher, like those yeah. two go pastor together. Yeah, the
1: pastor, pastor
0: teacher, teacher, pastor theologian, like, who else can do this work? Yeah. Who else in the congregation? Who has the training? Who has the time? Who's being paid? What are you being paid to do? You know, elders who teach are worthy of a double honor. Well, mm. they're, it's because they're teaching. Like, in other words, they're being paid. I think the double honor means that they're getting something more. Why? Because, you know, in the in ancient world, most of your day was spent, you know, procuring food and water and this kind of stuff. Well, here's somebody who is you know who how many tens of hours of daylight are they studying when they can you know studying yeah. scripture in antiquity i mean we have software that we can do things quickly i mean they they didn't you know they probably i don't know they have little books and comparing you know i mean that that takes time and reading out loud i mean that took a lot of time and i just think Ooh. boy we got to re- rediscover that uh, teaching preaching pastor because where else mm-hmm. Is the congregation going to get it? Most of their week is going to be media, memes. social media. And that's their main flood yeah. of worldview formation is social media. Exactly. TikTok, bites, Instagram, terrible stuff. That's Netflix. why
1: I said meme theology. And that's why I'm being so that's why we have the fallacy of the week on here. It's why we're doing the meme thing in the Bible class. Uh, it's so important. I got a cache of interesting memes. If you want to use some of them for your classes, well, I,
0: I think I, I would. I would take some at least. Definitely, yeah. I think it's a great idea. Um, yeah. well, we are it's, talking about Galatians here, yeah. uh, today, to and <laughs> we're going to look at really the manifestation of the deeds of the or the evidence of the deeds of the flesh. And I think one of the one of the manifestations is this discourse which is banal it is insidious it is it is trying to create in us appetites we're being instrumentalized uh, to be commercial creatures that buy things and and that's what's driving this economy the world economy unfortunately there are huge players and companies, and we can name, you know, industrial military complex. We could, we could talk about pharma, we could talk about food, all this kind of stuff. And these advertisements are getting us to want stuff. They're, they're, these advertisements, these memes, these whatever, are trying to get us to shape us in terms of our vices. They're trying to not uh, instill virtue. They're trying to instill vice in order that we become instruments of the world and are used, used, hollowed out shells of people rather than flourishing people made in the image of God, following our beloved Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, living lovingly, sacrificially, truthfully, courageously, uh, sacrificially in this world. And so, yeah, we're going to be looking at... uh, Galatians 5, 19, and um, no, 18 and 19, 18 and 19. And we're, you know, this, we're going to get into a a vice list. And we were like, well, should we go, you know, put a couple more verses in there? But no, we're going to slow, keep it slow and uh, look at these vices. And we need to like, because these vices, usually there's a whole conceptual world underneath these words. And our English translations, usually they go one for one. And there's usually more to be thought of. And so we're going to need to look up these words, kind of read some definitions, kind of understand that there's a larger conceptualization underneath some of these words uh, as we look at these verses. So, Michael, do you want to get us started by reading yeah. the Greek texts of verse yep. 18?
1: Galatians 5:18. 18. Uh, we got it here. And it starts with "Ide." So we have Ide, penevmati aiaset. Auguste equal nomon very short verse um, notice again we have the epsilon upsilon which is ev pnevmati
0: um, <laughs> and
1: then we have the alpha gamma epsilon you remember in the environment of an epsilon following a gamma the gamma becomes a y sound so this is not auguste but aye uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ah uh, yes. Yeah. So It really sounds like the word yes there in the middle, not yes. So with the stress on the alpha. ayese That's kinda of interesting because uh I don't know if you you folks heard it or if you heard it, Fred, but when you have Ayese and back to back, uh they they kind of echo each other, right? That's kind of fun. Uh, they have this kind of uh, symmetrical or mm-hmm. you know balanced acoustic thing going on there. But mm-hmm. even the stress falls on the first syllable, and then on the last syllable, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fascinating.
0: And then that leaves spirit and law as, you know, we're wondering mm-hmm. what the relationship is between those two. So the translation here, we got a de. Um, uh, that is interesting.
1: Is a, before you go into yeah. that, I mean, real quick, uh, yeah. just pnevmati, right? You have the P and the new, and then you have you nomon, you have the, the P and the new right there. Pretty That's kind of interesting. You almost have another balance. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the da makes a distinctive point. Uh, moreover, uh, I would say here makes good sense. Moreover, if by the spirit you are being led, ayasa is uh, is uh, middle passive. Um, so here probably kind of a passive sense of subject affectedness. Being being led, and the pnevmati is fronted again as the uh, dative of instrument. Um, even though spirits person, uh, we could say maybe dative of person, uh, dative of agent. Uh, we can maybe say, but if if you are being led by the spirit, that's the protasis. This is a conditional clause, and so this is the condition, the protasis. Uh, then as followed by the conclusion or the Um, you are not under law. So if led by the Spirit, then you are not under law. Now this seems to come almost out of nowhere, because he's not been talking about law for a while. Um, he, 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 he was back in 13, 14, 15, the law being fulfilled in one word. Uh, love you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so, when you're in a discourse, um, the author will will need to kind of do some deep dives. But every now and then they'll resurface, and here is kind of like a resurfacing to kind of the issue. And the issue is uh, that that people are agitating the Galatians, the recipients of this epistle, to somehow come under the law. And I think by implication, uh they say that Paul's message was inadequate. It didn't go far enough. If you really want to be sanctified, if you really want to go all the way, if you really want to be God's people as God's people are intended to be, you need to follow us and come under the law and if you come if you if you come under the law, you'll be able to lead a life of moral perfection. and Paul advocates a different pathway to sanctification. Uh, law observance is not that pathway. The law, as a body of teaching, which apparently this was what law means, it means a like construction, but it also comes to represent a covenantal relationship that had obligations that entailed not least of which the need to offer sacrifice for failures, so built into the law covenant system was a A need to admit, confess, and offer sacrifices for sins. Ergo, I think Paul could argue, we continue to have a sin problem underneath the law. But if we live by the Spirit, which is a new covenantal reality, then we don't need to come back underneath the law. The law was, remember, pointing us to Christ. The law was a guardian, a tutor, teaching us things until we reach maturity and that maturity is Christ itself. so walking or being led by the Spirit uh, creates a condition under which we don't need to be under the law. we are not under the law anymore. The type of condition this is 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 called a simple present simple condition so e with the present indicative followed by a present indicative. Now, why that's so significant is because it's present, simple, it's assuming these as kind of basic realities or facts of the case, which is true. This is the situation on the ground, this is the exigency that Paul is writing into. This is this is stuff that is facing the people right now. And this is the present reality, this is the present condition that is laying before them, the need for being led by the spirit, and consequentially. This means that you're not underneath the law covenant. Yeah. So spirit.
1: Yeah. This is another one that makes me squirm. Um, Just straight up honest. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't see an agenda in Paul to like get rid of the law. I don't see that agenda in Jesus others uh, or as well, right? Um, but I I think
0: What would that even look like, you mean, get rid of the law? That's kind of an so, idiom.
1: Well, uh, so when we say you're not under the law, that means like, I think when the average person hears that, they think, oh, it's, there's no point. Like, it's not necessary. It has no bearing on my life. And I don't think Paul's saying that And I don't think Jesus is saying that. I think what he's simply saying is you're not being led by it. Uh, But I still think, again, there's value in the law that it can teach us. It can lead us to repentance. Um, And so I still think there is value in it. I think Jesus doesn't abrogate the law. Like, um, there's to him, there's still value in it. So, I guess I would read this as more like uh, if you're being led by the Spirit, like, and then you're under the Spirit, which means that it's not the law that's leading you and you're not under the law. Although, that's not to say there is no value for the law. Again, I don't, I just don't want to like poo poo on the law. I think it's a good and valid and helpful thing, it's just not the thing.
0: Uh, that puts us in right standing with God. Well, I, I, th- I, I hear you there, and I, I think I understand your struggle. Um, we have to remember where the argument has come from, um, that there was a mediator in the giving of the law, and the mediator indicates more than one party. So the law is itself a negotiation between God and humanity, uh, whereas Jesus is just pure God. Uh, it's not a negotiation. Yeah. Um, I, so the I covenant yeah. under the law—I mean, it was a religious system. Uh, it was—it was a system of relating to God that is now not in effect. That way of relating to God physically now can't be done. I mean, the temple doesn't even exist, um, and Jesus forewarned the ending of that system in his own lifetime. I think that's his greatest prophetic act. We don't often think of Jesus as prophet, but oh yeah, he was a prophet and he was weeping over the uh, what was going to happen to his people, which entailed the destruction of the temple. Uh, and so that historic event is one of the most unappreciated events In New Testament history, we want to talk about his resurrection and ascension, which are huge, central, but most people don't think about the destruction of the temple and what that what that signals um, as also the high point of his prophetic ministry, which was tragic. I mean, he's trying to save his contemporaries from going down that road. So all of that is like the symbol of the problem. The problem is. A lot of animal death, uh, 250,000 every Passover, according to Josephus, if we trust his numbers. That's a lot of dead lambs. Um, The animal cruelty is done away with. Uh, The covenantal system. So the law as a representative of that covenantal system and in regard to these people on the ground in Galatia, it would have implications of you need to be circumcised. Otherwise you continue to be a second class believer. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty serious stuff. I mean, this is socially painful stuff. I mean, people are like showing up at the table, some people leaving. I mean, people are like, what the heck's going on here? Like, Oh, we're, we're second class again. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that God hates. That's not Jesus. hates.
1: That's the, that's not the the problem. Is not the law itself. It's the interpretation and handling of the law, right? So I I think Jesus has a lot of criticism toward the religious officials for that reason. It's not it's not primarily the law's fault. It's how it's not, it's the traditions and 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 the interpretations you know. built up around yeah. the the law that Jesus spends yeah. so much time. criticizing that's my own view
0: yeah i think the law had a termination date
1: i also wouldn't say that the the temple was destroyed in 70 ce uh in my revelation commentary that i work on that it's been done for a little while but i'm letting it sit i want to return to it with fresh eyes um if you go back and read like the the temple is still standing after 70 it was it was damaged, but it doesn't actually get destroyed. Destroyed until one twenty five CE.
0: Well, I don't think it's a place of worship after that. I mean, so we can we can parcel destroy. What does destroy mean? But yeah. uh, the uh, the fact I think the thing I would like to say is though or, or distress is that the law. God didn't intend it to have a permanent uh, place. Uh, <sighs>
1: yeah. I don't think so.
0: It's always pointing beyond itself. Uh, and and um, it had a place. And I think it had an, uh, what's it called? Uh, expiration date. I think it had an expiration date. And um, Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're on very different pages with this. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Well, I mean, to say that doesn't mean that it doesn't have value still. And Paul talks about its value, but as a as a religious system of of practice uh cultically and uh ceremonially and other kinds of ways. No, it's not in effect. Uh Yeah, I th-
1: yeah I, we're probably closer than
0: it seems, but um I'm stating it a little bit starkly. I remember taking Galatians with Dr. Carol Stockhausen yeah. and, and, right. just, and just reflecting on Galatians. I mean, this doctoral seminar, and I, it just kind of dawned on me. I'm like, wow, the law becomes a cultural artifact. Does that mean it has no value? No, it has a lot of value, but it's, it's a witness. It's a witness. Paul does say it's a witness. And it's their types for us to learn from, yeah. uh, and that's huge. And for the early Christians, it was their it was their scripture, um, right? Because the New Testament was being written down. So, um, but it's always testifying and pointing to Christ. Um, so and the practices and behaviors described in them certain certain's of them didn't apply, uh, circumcision, and other kinds of things.
1: Here's how I would frame what we're about to read, right? So Paul's been talking about the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And he's about to say in the next verse that the fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh, as he calls it, but I say fruit of the flesh, just for the parallel, are things like sexual immorality and uh idolatry and so on and so forth. So like he's gonna give this vice list. And um the point, a large point of the law was one, like a preventative measure to like help prevent you from doing those, mm-hmm. but two as a sort of revelatory or recognizing measure that when you have done those, the the role of the law is to point it out to you that you're guilty. Right. So when you're under the law, like what what it's doing is bringing to mind um, these vices, whether that is to avoid them or you need to repent of them. And I think what he's saying when you're walking in the spirit and when you're under the spirit like it isn't focusing on those negative things, but it's actually focusing on uh goodness and uh, gentleness, you know, like the the fruit of the spirit. Like, so when you're walking under the law versus walking in the spirit, your mind is in two different places, and um it's turning your focus to two different things. So, mm-hmm. would you rather be walking in a life where you're constantly like thinking about, oh, I better not commit sexual immorality, or Walking in a way that says, yeah, I'm striving on toward holiness I'm pressing into holiness, pressing on toward holiness. Like it's two different ways of living. The law is still valuable, but it's a different way to live than as if you're walking in the spirit. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but I think that's where he's going. Yeah,
0: I, I would th- say the law is more than just morality. It's, uh, it's anti-idolatry um yeah of course it's separating from idolatry um but uh yeah and it's trying to teach them how to walk with with the lord and so there are core principles of mercy and justice hospitality um as well as uh vices to be avoided um chapter 18 of leviticus
1: yeah 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 but i don't think i i don't know that paul's gonna make that argument here i think he's He's, he's framed it in such a way that these two ways of living uh, are pointing you in two different directions of focus or thought. Uh, that, yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think,
0: I, think he's, I think he's already made the point. That's why he doesn't need to make it here. If you we go may. back to the early part of chapter four, it's clear that the, the law is, is a slave tutor pointing to christ the reality the maturity the full sonship and airship and
1: i is don't in christ. disagree with that yeah i would yeah if you look at like a maturity spectrum right think of it like that or like a klein right so you you have like full-on immaturity over here and then mature full-on maturity over here there's like this spectrum in that that however long it goes like a, the earlier portion of the spectrum right would would be that the law right where you're focused on don't do this don't do this don't do this beware of this beware of this right and that's maybe a a less mature a spiritual way of living or a less mature spiritual life than like no i need to do this i need to this is how i need to be living I, um you know goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control like these sorts of things like yeah, that's how I'm that's how I'm envisioning it. Uh perhaps yeah. I'm wrong, but that's where my mind's at.
0: I think the mechanism is that Jesus is the ideal king. Jesus yeah. is the Messiah yeah. who embodies virtue and law. And this was the nature of the ideal king. He doesn't need a law, he's internalized the law. And even the in, in Deuteronomy was it 14 or is it 17? The king was to take a copy of the law, and make 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 his own copy of the law. So yeah. there was supposed to be a close relationship between the king and the law, presumably so that he would live out justice. Yeah. Um, and so that wasn't realized, and so there's uh, there was a need for Jesus. Uh, only God could do what God could do to to do it and to take on the human form. Yeah. And to fully embody that justice. Um, and then give us that same spirit. So I think there's a mechanism here culturally, ideologically, that we need to recover in terms of law and embodiment of law, um, or moving moving past the need for law. There's an right. article by um uh Andrew Wall um Hadrill Wallace um and this takes us, we're really kind of tangencing today, but, uh, he looks at, um, I was just giving this to a friend today, uh, Wallace Hodrill. Um, it's called the Augustan, uh, age of sin. Um, it's called the golden age of sin, gold, the golden age and sin and Augustan ideology. This guy, this is a classical scholar, uh, uh, Andrew Wallace Hadrill, but he describes that with Augustus, there was an understanding of a, of a moving away from law uh, to like a, a kind of embodiment. But anyway, there's, there's some cultural dynamics here that I, I think we need to recover. Honestly. Um,
1: well, yeah. The, there's an old book by, uh, a monograph Julian Smith called that Christ, the ideal King. I think it's part of the argument, right? making, And and I think if you, I was just in physical therapy last week and my uh, therapist was ranting about uh, Donald Trump when he was in office and that that's fine. I I don't care. But her, her particular rant was, uh, and we did this when Bill Clinton was in office too, but her particular rant was like look at the things like what am mm-hmm. i supposed to tell my my teenage son yeah. when the president is saying things about grabbing women in the crotch or you know like the person yeah. who is supposed to embody the highest ideals yeah. of our society yeah. is like saying and doing these things what mm-hmm. am i supposed to tell my son yeah like and um and cool. i i think that's kind of like you know, when we look at that book by Julian Smith and what you're referring to, that, yeah, the the king, the priest, the religious officials were supposed to be the embodiment of the law. But it became so corrupt that it was just turned into a joke. So Christ mm-hmm. comes mm-hmm. and he is the embodiment of the law. And it is summed up in him and fulfilled in him, which is not to say there's no value in it. But, yeah, I think that president analogy is a really good one again we yeah. said the same thing with bill clinton i remember being you know a, a, a younger at the time and hearing people lament the same thing like oh yeah well, what does it say about our nation that our president's doing these kinds of things in the and oval what office example does that set for our young men
0: mm-hmm. yeah you know. yeah absolutely
1: well we're kind of like
0: Right on the verge of, of the list of of what we've been describing about the failure uh, of the flesh, the works of the the flesh. So let's wait? read verse do nineteen.
1: That? You want to do nineteen? You want, want to me to read 19 now, or do you want to wait and do it in another episode? Oh, I I'm
0: okay. Let's maybe we can maybe do that. We can then we can get all the the vices together uh, if oh, if we wait. don't go off on little tangents.
1: Uh tangents there are no tangents I don't, I don't think so.
0: no, that's fun, it's fun, yeah, we can end with verse nineteen. Wow, have we just stopped with one verse that consists of only eight words?
1: yeah, that's it I mean,
0: that's yeah, we're gonna stop, okay, well, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed, <laughs> no that's fine, that's fine, no,
1: I think it's a good time to stop um so do uh, you have a parting shot for us? if you don't, I do.
0: Go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. Okay, I'll save mine right. for later.
1: Um, I don't know. I don't have a clue who this is from, but this is funny. I just thought it was funny. I sent it to a friend this morning. It says, I don't have a train of thought. I have seven trains on four tracks that narrowly avoid each other when the paths cross and all the conductors are screaming." <laughs> <laughs> and then I sent that to my friend and he he wrote back. Actually, you have four trains, a complex bus system, and the New York City subway.
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks, friend.
1: But, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, I thought that was fun. So, well, thanks, well, everybody. Uh, yeah, thanks for
0: yeah. listening to us and um, following us. We appreciate your support and questions. And, uh, yeah, so share, like, and um. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we appreciate you listening and watching us, and we look forward to having you do that next time. Take care, everybody.
1: Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glossa House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to GlossaHouse.com today. GLOSA House, language resources for the global community.